So, my name is Kelsey Oldenkamp. This morning, we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, which is towards the end of this book. Um, but this morning, how many of you have seen an apple tree? How can you tell that it's an apple tree? What about a tulip? How can you tell that it's a tulip? Uh, as someone who's half Dutch, one of the most beautiful things in the world is tulip fields in spring. How can I tell that I'm looking at a tulip field? You can tell by what's being produced. You're able to identify it because of its distinguishing fruit. An apple tree is going to produce apples. A tulip is going to produce tulip blossoms. They can't help it. It's what they do. It's built into the molecular structure of the plant. Let's say you come over to my house one evening, and I'm giving you the grand tour. We're walking through the yard, and I say, and over here is my cherry tree. You look at it, and you see a tree that has a bunch of apples growing on it. What do you do? Do you nod politely and let me go on believing that I'm growing cherries? Do you call Pastor Kyle and ask him if he's actually seen my diploma? This morning in our thread series, we're, we're looking at the book of Galatians and specifically chapter 5. And let me explain a little bit of, of how Paul got here. So when we were going through the Old Testament passages, we were getting dropped into the middle of a story, and we had to orient ourselves to what has been happening. Now we're in the epistles, the letters to the church, and we're getting dropped into the middle of an argument. Paul is making a case here, and we're coming in towards the very end of it. In Galatians, Paul is dealing with a church that's struggling to identify fruit, specifically the fruit of a Christian life. They had a group of people called the Judaizers telling them that the fruit of a Christian life is strict adherence to the Jewish law of Moses. So they believed them, and they started obeying the law. Paul is shocked by this. He spends most of the book explaining to them that it was Jesus that saved them, not the law. They've been saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. They had the righteousness of Jesus. The law has no hold on them. Therefore, the fruit of their lives shouldn't be following the law. should be following Jesus. They're a different kind of tree. A, a Christian's life produces distinguishing fruit because those who are free in Christ walk by the Spirit. That's the, that's the case that Paul is trying to make here in this chapter. And so the question is, what is it about your life that says you're a Christian? Paul wants us to see what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. What it looks like to live as a follower of Jesus. What it looks like to live as part of a church. He's been making the case that Christians are different than the world around them because under the surface, they have a new status that has come by grace through faith. So now he's saying, if by grace through faith, then this. If you've been saved by grace through faith, then your life will look like this. He's saying it's the natural progression of salvation. The fruit that your life produces matters. It tells us about the health and the type of tree that it's attached to. Would you join me in Galatians 5, verses 13 through 26? Paul writes to the church saying, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. In verses 13 through 15, Paul starts out this passage by explaining a couple things to the Galatians. First is that Jesus frees us from the law. That Jesus frees us from the law. Verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's continuing his argument, an argument that he's been making for the last five chapters. And part of that is is what he talks about in chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. He writes, Now before before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So he's saying that because Jesus has justified you before the law, you are not condemned by the law. You are free. The law no longer has any bearing on you. It doesn't have a hold on your life. The image that he uses is is one of captivity and guardianship. He's telling them that, that the law wasn't bad. The law wasn't doing anything bad, but it couldn't save. Only Jesus had the power to save by grace through faith. But he's saying that, that now that you're no longer under the law, you're a different kind of tree. You're a different kind of of plant. You're no longer going to produce the things that you produced when you were under the law. So you're free from the legalism of the Judaizers, of this group of Jews that were coming in telling that that they needed to obey the law. Paul is saying you don't need to obey the 600 laws of the Old Testament that they're telling you to obey. You have a new life. It's kind of like how in the U.S., we've decided that uh, legally children need to be protected by their parents until they're 18. 
The, the law says that, that children have to be uh, protected and, guardian, and guarded by their parents until they're 18. Once they turn 18, then something changes. Uh, Paul is, is talking about how basically something has changed, and that something is Jesus. The, the law no longer has the same bearing. You don't have the same relationship to the law as you did before you had Jesus. And what he's talking about is, is something that we've referenced before. He's saying we have a new spirit, a new law written on our hearts. Paul is talking about a new life that was promised hundreds of years before. We, we touched on Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel 36, a couple passages that, that we've, be, we've preached out of uh, last fall. And what those passages are talking about is what Paul is talking about. The, the God's, relation, God's people and their relationship to the law has fundamentally changed. God promises hundreds of years before that he will send a new spirit. He will put a new spirit in his people. He will give them new hearts and the law will be written on their hearts. That it's not going to be this relationship that exists as 600 laws that need to be kept because they could never be kept. But God promises a new heart and a new spirit and law written on our hearts that will fundamentally change who we are and how we relate to God. So Paul is telling them the time has come. Jesus is here. You are now free from your relationship to the law, from captivity to the law. Now you have a new status, a new relationship to the law. So that by the power of Jesus, we live by a new law standard. Galatians 3, 26, from the, the end of the passage I just referenced, he says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So this is continuing his image of, of captives. And it's, it's amazing the twist that he makes here. When we were captives under the law, he doesn't say that, that your new status is just as freed captives, as someone who is now freed to do whatever you want. You are freed from captivity and freed to being an heir, being a child of God, being a citizen of the kingdom of God. That it's not just this freedom to do what you want, but it's a new identity, a new purpose, your life has a totally new trajectory. And this is continuing what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount and, and the greatest commandment. It's using and following Jesus' teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking to uh, a crowd full of Jews, and he raises the bar of the law. He tells them, you thought that the bar was that you shall not murder. You shouldn't kill anyone. I'm telling you that you shouldn't even be angry at your brother. He's telling them that the bar, they thought the bar was here, but it's actually way up here. To show them that they had no hope of ever actually following it. That under their own power, they would never be able to do it. You thought that the bar for lust was that you shall not commit adultery. No, it's actually you shouldn't even look at a woman with lustful intent. You shouldn't even look at a man with lust in your heart. You thought the bar was here, but it's way up here. And so Paul is saying that by grace through faith, you are now living by a new law standard. 
One that by the power of Jesus Christ, you have a new relationship to the law. So why in the world would you go back to the old one? Why in the world would you try under your own power to follow these 600 laws? Why would you try to do what you have been freed from? And he's telling them this as the church because this is a community that is meant to embody freedom from the law and embody the kingdom of God here on earth. A new type of person, a new type of tree. So Paul lays out this underlying reality that makes the Christian life possible. The reality that you're justified, declared righteous before God, that the law has no power over you. And that it's the power of Jesus that has called you out of captivity to the demands of the law and to sin and has called you to freedom in him. Sounds easy enough. But how do we know what a life of freedom looks like? Freedom sounds great. What do we do with it? So then in the second portion, he starts to build that out a little bit more. And he talks about how Jesus frees us from our old life and desires. Starting in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is setting up for them this other party. So he's saying, not just are you freed from the law and the demands of the law, but you're also freed from your old life, your old impulses, your old desires, your old sinful nature. You've been freed from that as well. See, freedom, life, this freedom that he's talking about, this life in the spirit that he's talking about, isn't legalism, but it's also not anarchy. Anarchy sounds great as long as you're the only person that it applies to. If I get to do whatever I want, it sounds great. If everyone else gets to do whatever they want, it leads to a lot of problems. Because eventually, my desire to do whatever I want is going to start butting up against someone else's desire to do whatever they want, and all it ends is in conflict and chaos. So Paul is telling them that it's neither of these things. It's something better. That's why he's, he's, he's painting this life in the spirit as being opposed to life in the flesh, opposed to their sinful nature, opposed to following your impulses. He's saying that those two things, what you're experiencing is them butting up against each other. They're in conflict, they're in tension, and you're feeling it. And he's saying that if you are in Christ, if you have the Spirit, the old life loses. The Spirit wins every time. And so he's calling them to this new life, to see the goodness of this new life, to give in to the power of the Spirit, and to begin to live this new life. He's saying you are no longer captive to sin and to the flesh. 
And he's warning them not to swing in the other direction now, to go from abandoning the law to then following and being captive to their impulses and desires. We are free not to follow. We are free to abandon our sinful nature. We are free to follow after Christ. And this list that he provides, this list of the works of the flesh, he's saying, you guys know what this looks like. You know what your old life looks like. You know what these impulses and desires look like, what they lead to, what they end in. He's saying, so don't do it. You know this list. He gives them this list and says, and things like these. He's giving them this, this broad list and saying, you guys all know what this looks like and where this ends. Christian, your old life was leading to death and destruction and conflict. And your new life leads to life. Paul is saying, walk in that, live in that. And that true freedom is not anarchy. It's life. Jesus has freed us from captivity to the law. We've been set free from the demands that the law placed on us. Declared righteous in God's sight. But that doesn't mean that we have free reign to do whatever we want. That's living in captivity to our desires. Held captive by our sinful nature. That's not freedom. We're called to leave behind the demands of the law to do better and to try harder and also not to fall into the trap of doing whatever we want. So what's left? Uh, Paul has mentioned walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. But what does that look like? What does that even mean? And that's what he gets into in verses 22 through 26. Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's saying you have been called from this old life, called from following the demands of the law, called from your sinful nature, called from following your impulses and desires, and called to freedom in the Spirit, true freedom. That we are called from something and called to something. There's a trajectory there's a path, there's a direction that this is going in. Called from captivity to the law and to sin and called to freedom in Christ. And this life of freedom is what Paul is describing as walking in the Spirit. It's, I think it's a beautiful image that, that Paul describes this as Christians are being led by the Spirit. Verse 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He's painting this not as a wish or a future promise, but as a beautiful reality. That, that Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, has gone before us, and now we are following after the Holy Spirit in this path of righteousness, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and following after the Spirit. 
the opposite of a life lived in the flesh, headed in the complete opposite direction, feeling that tension of the two lives pushing against each other, but walking on the path of sanctification, being led by the Spirit, becoming more and more like Jesus. We're not left to wander, but called to follow, called to walk after the Spirit. And so that's where he comes up with this, where he puts forward this list of the fruits of the Spirit as being, these are the things that are going to be characteristic of your life. This is what your life is going to look like when you are walking behind the Spirit, when you are following after the Spirit. He's saying that a Christian who is led by the Spirit, who is walking on this path, will produce the fruit of the Spirit. That this is, it's inevitable. It's part of who they are. A new person, a new creation, a new creature, a new relationship to God and to the law. And there's an element of of God's common grace to everyone that we're all able to see these things. All able to see that there's something good when someone deals with you patiently. When someone is kind towards you. When, when someone uh, is faithful, loyal to you, you can, you can see that there's something good in that, something to be desired. And this fruit that's produced by the Spirit in the life of the Christian who is walking by the Spirit. That if you take one day of your life and start beating yourself up over all the times that you weren't patient, you weren't kind, you weren't gentle, that's not going to help, then that's not the life that that Paul is describing. What he's saying is, look back on where you were. Look back on where you were before Christ, where you were before you had the Holy Spirit in you, and see where you are now. See that the Holy Spirit has been working to produce this fruit in your life if you let him, if you join in in that work. It's not going to be a straight trajectory of I'm always improving in each one of these things. It's going to ebb and flow and you'll have ups and downs, but the trajectory is always the same, getting closer and closer to Jesus. And Paul ends this with an image of keeping in step with the Spirit in verse 25. It's this image of marching, He's he's saying that when you're doing this, when you are walking after the Spirit, when you are following after the Spirit, you're not just following a mile behind him and going, well, he's somewhere up there. Keeping in step, marching, matching his steps, marching in formation, that the goal is to be following so closely after the Spirit that you are imitating him closely. He's saying, you've been justified in Christ. You have life in the Spirit. Therefore, you should be following Jesus and marching in line with the Spirit. Walking on this path toward holiness and sanctification that Jesus has laid before you. It's in front of you. He's saying, you've been declared righteous. The righteous path for your life is ahead of you. Walk on it. Follow the Spirit. Pursue a life that is producing the fruit of the Spirit, setting your eyes on Jesus and living the life that you have been called to, living out the freedom that you have been called to live. And I would encourage you sometime this week to just sit down with these fruits of the Spirit, 
to sit down with this list and, and just pray over them and say, God, what are two or three of these that I can focus on? What are two or three of these that you are working to produce in my life right now? Because it's not that you pick one, perfect it, move on to the next one, pick that one, perfect it. As you start to focus in on participating in the work of the Spirit, in joining in what he's doing in your life, even in small ways, you'll see all of them begin to grow. You'll see yourself become more and more like Christ. Leaving behind a life that produces the works of the flesh, leaving behind the old life and the destruction and death that it was leading to. That's why it's a beautiful thing that, that Paul paints these two as complete opposites. That when you are moving toward Christ and walking behind the Spirit, you are moving away from your old life. He doesn't leave any room for a gray space in between. And that is a blessing. That is a good thing to know that when you are making a choice to follow Jesus, when you are walking after the Spirit, that that is one step farther away from your old life. Any move that's made in step with the Spirit is leaving that behind in the complete opposite direction. And also that life in the Spirit is life that's done in community. Uh, this isn't just you and Jesus sitting in the closet working through the, the fruit of the Spirit. That if you're keeping in step with the Spirit, you will act towards others in a certain way. Most of this list are things that other people experience. It's how you react and act towards other people. Particularly, those who disagree with you or are, who are different than you. It's so easy for us to be patient with people that we like. It's easy for us to be kind to our friends and those that we agree with. But what about the people that we don't agree with? What about the people who are different than us, who don't see things in the same way that we do? The fruit of the Spirit is, is primarily in how you live and act towards others, and it should be consistent across all areas of your life. So as we do this, we do this in community. Uh, finding those, those few people that can call you out on those things, that you can spur others toward doing this well, toward walking in the Spirit together. Finding those people who can speak into your life and help you move forward, walking together, following the Spirit. That you're able to do this, not alone, but together with others. A Christian's life looks different because those who are free in Christ walk by the Spirit. Christian community looks different because we are all walking in the Spirit, all free in Christ, all abandoning the works of the flesh, producing the fruit of the Spirit. Christian, you have been called to new life in Christ. You've been called to live and to keep in step with the Spirit, to join in his work in producing the fruit in your life. It's not a new set of rules, a new set of laws to follow. And there is no claim that any law can make against your life. But your life also isn't one of captivity to your impulses and desires. You're no longer held captive to your sinful nature, to your flesh. You are free, free to deny your flesh, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Walking step by step in eternal life with him, abandoning the path that leads to death, 
abandoning your sinful nature that produces strife, jealousy, rivalries, dissension, deceit, conceit, envy. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Instead, keeping in step with the Spirit and producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Let's make Rock Hill our community, our people, a people that are recognized by that fruit. That when someone walks through the door, they know they'll be treated with love. That when someone is struggling here, they experience the patience, kindness, and gentleness of Rock Hill. That we disagree with others' opinions with peace and self-control. Where the Twin Ports clearly sees the goodness of God through our words, lives, and actions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have been declared righteous. That by your grace we get to receive the Holy Spirit, that we get to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Father, help us to abandon our old lives. Help us to abandon the law. Help us to abandon the demands of our flesh, our desires. God, help us to follow after you. Let us keep in step with the Spirit, following closely after him, as we become more and more like Christ. God, we thank you for this. We thank you that you have chosen us and brought us out of captivity. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.